This episode, we talk about how the loss of humility is the driving force behind so many of our nation's problems. We also talk about the cultural move away from personal responsibility and the detrimental effects it has created. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. So the current civil unrest that we are seeing across the country over the last couple of weeks has led to a lot of national discussions. And one of those discussions has been a question about how we should view our history, and in particular, how we should view historical figures. So that's everybody from Christopher Columbus to our founding fathers to those who fought in the Civil War to civil rights heroes and figures. So there's just this discussion right now about our history and how we should look at it, how we should learn about it, how we should remember and whether or not we should honor certain historical figures. And one of the things that has kind of struck me as I've been listening to all of the discussion that's been taking place across the country in general, but particularly about this issue, is how unbelievably narcissistic Americans are living in the 21st century. We are extremely narcissistic. Humility is a value that seems to be desperately lacking in our culture. And this lack of humility is not only really having significant impacts on individuals and our personal lives, but it's also now having impacts in the way that we are having discussions and the way that we are dealing with challenges that we are facing as a nation. So humility is a value. It is something that has to be taught. It is not something that comes naturally to human beings. So it selfishness is actually something that comes naturally to us. And we can see this And by looking at children, by looking at young children, right? So anybody who has a young child understands how unbelievably unaware children are about the needs of pretty much anybody except for themselves. So when you're, it starts off when you're a newborn and, you know, a baby is not going to ever stop and think, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm kind of hungry, but maybe I'll just wait until morning so mom and dad can get some rest. That's not a thing, right? They're hungry. They cry, period. They don't care where they are. They don't care if they're in the middle of a church service. They don't care what is going on. They are going to cry and that's all there is to it. And this is normal human development. Anybody who has ever studied human development understands that children start off extraordinarily self-centered and then as they grow, their parents and the adults around them are supposed to teach them to not be self-centered. They are supposed we are supposed to teach them that the world doesn't revolve around them. And unfortunately, I think that what we are seeing throughout our culture is this coddling of our children and really so many people in our culture who are who really just have never grown up they have they lack the maturity to be able to understand that the world actually doesn't revolve around them the generations prior to us understood how important this was they understood how important it was to teach children to be empathetic to be considerate of others and to teach children that they are not the center of the universe. And yet what we see today is that we are not only teaching children 
that, oh, yes, actually, you are the center of the universe, that the entire world has to change and adjust and alter itself in order to spare your feelings so that you don't you're never sad or you're never hurt or you're never feeling, you know, left out of anything. But we have now carried that on to adulthood. We have now carried that on to people who are grown adults who seem to lack this ability to understand that the world doesn't revolve around them and the world doesn't owe them anything. This lack of humility that we are seeing begins at an individual level. And what individually, what our culture is telling us from the time that we are children is that what is really important is our self-esteem. What's really important is that we love ourselves and that we value ourselves and that we know and understand just how wonderful and fantastic and amazing we are. And the, I think that the goal behind this for a lot of people is it stems from a place of compassion. It stems from the idea that, you know, if we just teach people how to be confident and comfortable in their own skin, if we teach people how to have high self-esteem and to love themselves, then what we're really going to do is we're going to create this culture full of people who are generally happy, people who are at peace with themselves and their surroundings, who are, you know, contributing members to society, and everything is just going to be happy and wonderful. Well, this has been a philosophy that has been prevalent in our culture for a couple of generations now. And looking around us, are we seeing the fruits of our labor when it comes to this issue. You can judge a tree by its fruits. And we are right now seeing the results of generations and generations of telling people to love themselves and to focus on self-esteem. And as we look around, turn on the news, um, are we seeing those those wonderful you know consequences to that? Actually, no. I think that what we're seeing is the complete opposite. What we have done is not teach people how to respect themselves and how to just be confident and joyful and happy in their lives. What we have actually done is we have taught people to be self-obsessed. We are taught and told that we are perfect just as we are, right? Like you can even hear it. There's song lyrics about it, right? Like you're just, you're perfect and you're beautiful and you're wonderful exactly how you are. We, you know, nothing is your fault. If there's anything that has happened in your life that you know, is bad, that is that is hurting you, that is just a really terrible situation. None of that is your fault. You are a victim. There is nothing that you did. There is no choice that you made that brought you to that place because you're perfect, right? You're, you're wonderful and you're, you're fantastic. And so none of it can be your fault. This is, this is something that we instill in our children right now from an extraordinarily young age. This is what we see in schools when children are, you know, you can't use a red pen to correct children's work because that might hurt their feelings. You can't give children a failing grade on an assignment or in a classroom because that will hurt their self-esteem. Our public school system today is literally pushing children through who are not completing any of the assignments, who are not completing the mandatory requirements to complete the grade level, who are having difficulties academically, behaviorally, socially. We are just pushing them through to the next grade level and the next grade level and the next grade level because we are so afraid of hurting their self-esteem. Self-esteem has become the most important thing. This message that you are perfect, this message that there is no nothing you can do to improve yourself and improve your life, this has become 
a basic tenet of our culture. And it continues on to adulthood. It continues in the magazine articles that tell people you are enough. You are perfect just the way you are. You have to love yourself before you can love anyone else. You have to take care of your needs before you can do anything for anyone else. This all comes from a place of compassion. But the reality is, is that it is a fake compassion. It's a false compassion. It is actually achieving the complete opposite of what these people think that they are achieving. In the end, all of this obsession and focus on ourselves and and self-love and self-esteem, it's actually turned into a cruelty. It has turned into something that is downright cruel because what we have done is we have stripped human beings of our humility. And when we do that, we create a whole trunk load of problems. Okay, so on an individual level, where are we seeing problems? We're seeing problems in the fact that people are being told that, you know, if it's not your fault, if the situation that you're in is not your fault, what does that necessarily mean? It necessarily leads to the conclusion that if it's not your fault, that means that there's nothing you can do to make your situation better. If your bad choice did not put you in that situation, then what that means is that you are incapable and you are powerless to fix it, to do anything to make your situation better. If you are 100% perfect and there is no room for improvement, then that means that anything that's negative in your life, you have done your best. So that means that you are necessarily at the mercy of those around you. You're necessarily at the mercy of the oppressors, the systemic racism, the patriarchy, all of these external forces that are supposedly the means to any and every bad thing that is happening in your life. Now, people who are in positions of power, they are doing this in a very calculated way. I'm, I am convinced they are doing this in a very calculated way because what they are saying is you can't help yourself, you can't fix yourself, and so you have to rely on the government to do it for you. But people who are just everyday Americans who are spreading these messages, I believe that they're just misguided. I believe that they think that they are helping people, but in the end, you are not helping people. It is a very difficult message to tell people that they are not perfect. It sounds mean. It sounds downright mean, but it's actually not. When you go to somebody and you say, no, you're not perfect. You need to take a look in the mirror and you need to recognize, number one, your natural limitations, because that's going to give you a realistic view of what you will be able to accomplish in your life. And number two, you need to recognize where you have made bad choices, where you have fallen short. And when you do that, that also opens up a bunch of opportunities for you to recognize where you can work harder, where you can study more where you can put your focus so that you can actually improve your life. Recognizing our natural limitations is a tough thing to do, but it is completely, it is, it is very, very important. Um, the other day I was driving in the car with my eight-year-old daughter and my eight-year-old niece, and they had these sketch pads and they were drawing pictures. And my eight-year-old niece, you know, all of a sudden she gets, she's in the backseat and she starts getting really sad. And I was like, what's wrong? And she goes, you know, your daughter's picture, her picture is way better than mine. Now, the natural instinct would be for me to say, oh, let me see your picture. Oh no, your picture is beautiful. Your picture is wonderful. It's, it looks great. But I didn't even look at the pictures because that was not the point of the moment. What I said to her was, so what? 
so what? She happens to be a pretty good artist. And maybe you have the ability to be a good artist and you just have to practice. Or maybe you don't. Personally, I'm a terrible artist. I have zero talent when it comes to drawing. My daughter is a better artist than I am. And what does that mean? It means that she's a better artist than I am. You know, but then there's other areas, and this is what I told my niece, there's going to be other things that you are going to be better than her at, that you're going to be better than other people. And whatever you're good at, there's always going to be someone else who is going to be even better. So you have a couple of choices. You can either work hard to improve yourself in that area, or you can just accept like, you know what, that's just not something that I'm good at. But what is not the solution. What is not the lesson to be learned is to say, no, no, you are perfect. Your your drawing is perfect and it is wonderful and you don't have to do anything to improve yourself. What this tends to lead us to is teaching people and what's connected to all of this is that inequality of outcome always equals oppression. That is a lesson that that is a message, I should say, that is so prevalent right now at this moment in our culture. And it's a lie. It is a lie. And it is cruel. The idea that inequality of outcome always means that somebody held you down. It's just simply not true. Okay, I am not as rich and famous as Carrie Underwood. And it is because I don't have the talent and the singing voice that Carrie Underwood has, period. Nobody held me down. Nobody oppressed me. Nobody did anything that was unfair to me. It was simply, it's simply the fact that we do not have the same level of talent in a field that happens to make a lot of money. When you lie to people and when you tell them that any sort of inequality means that somebody hurt you, it breeds anger and resentment. And we are seeing the fruits of generations of that message coming forward in our country right at this moment. Teaching people that inequality of outcome is a part of life, that it will, is something that will always exist, that is teaching people the truth, and truth is something that will always be the best path to walk forward. Humility, the value of humility, recognizing that we are all flawed and we are all limited, will give us the ability, when you have that value, when you have the ability to be humble and to recognize your limitations and your faults and to recognize that you, in fact, are not a perfect person, that you make mistakes, that you make bad choices, that you have limitations in your ability, being able to recognize all of these things necessarily leads us to a place where we have the ability to show grace and forgiveness to the faults of others. And that is true in our daily lives and our daily interactions. And it is also true in how we view history and how we view people who lived in history. So one personal example that I can give to demonstrate a time in my life where I was humbled was Back when I was younger, I would drive around on the freeways and whatnot, and I would, you know, drive past an accident that would happen, and somebody would rear, have rear-ended somebody else. And I would always drive by, and I would just look at those people, and I'd just be like, oh my goodness, you know, what an idiot. Learn how to drive. What is wrong with you? Like, if you are somebody who gets into an accident like that, like, you're just an idiot. They're, you're, it's, you are the problem. And I was really quick to pass judgment on those people until, of course, the day came where I was driving and I got distracted for a, a split second by something in my rearview mirror and I rear-ended somebody and it was 100% completely my fault. And now when I'm driving around and I see an accident and I see that happen, I 
feel sorry for both parties. I have compassion and am slow to judge both parties who are involved in it because it's like, you know what? Yep. People are not perfect. People are not perfect. People make mistakes and things happen. That experience humbled me. But if in that experience, what I got out of it was, no, 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 yeah, yeah, maybe it was my fault and maybe the insurance ruled it my fault, but you know what, it was actually that lady, like she shouldn't have done that or she shouldn't have slammed on her brakes or she shouldn't have slowed down in front of me, then you're not going to learn any lessons. You're not going to be humbled and you're not going to learn anything from it. We have to be able to look at ourselves and look at our experiences and learn from them and understand this was a fault, this was a mistake, this was an error on my part. That is the only way that we can be truly humbled and that we can learn humility and grow in our character as human beings. Our arrogance and our lack of humility makes us think that we are perfect. And when we view ourselves in that skewed way, it necessarily makes us view others in that skewed way. And what that does is that means that if anybody, if we are perfect, then that means that perfection is attainable. And if perfection is attainable, then if we look at somebody else and we say, oh, that's a flaw, that was a bad choice, that that was an error in judgment, then what that leads us to believe is that, well, they're bad and they must be totally written off. What we are seeing in our culture right now is this kind of sorting method where we are putting people into two binary boxes, good and bad. And there's nothing in between. So that means that when the smallest flaw presents itself in a person, that prevents that person from going into the good box, okay? And this is not realistic. This is not reality. All human beings are capable of tremendous amounts of good and tremendous amounts of evil. We, are, we all have that inside of us, every single one of us. We all have room to improve and we all have room to make mistakes, The reality is that people exist more on a spectrum. This is how we should be viewing ourselves, each other, and people who have lived throughout history. We should be viewing people on more of a spectrum, okay? So if you look at the spectrum, right, you can imagine in your head like a number line. And on one end of the number line is the number zero, and that might represent people who are truly evil. And then on the other end, you might have the number 100, and that might represent people who are truly good. So maybe on the zero end, you have someone like Hitler, right? Someone who is just truly, truly evil, and there's really no redeeming qualities there. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might have someone like Mother Teresa, who is just exhibited so much goodness in her life and very, very little sin. And then the rest of us, we probably lie somewhere in the middle. And maybe some of us are at the 50% and maybe some of us are more on the 75 and some are more on the 25. But the reality is, is that we are somewhere in the middle. This is true for pretty much everybody. But when we don't look at it like that, when instead we use the two box sorting method where you're either 100% good or 100% bad, what that does is it makes us actually erase history and it makes us erase facts. It makes us erase all the good that of flawed people, and it makes us erase all of the flaws of good people. And I'm going to explain exactly what I mean by that. When I say it makes us erase all the good of flawed people, okay? So you might take a historical figure like Thomas Jefferson, okay? Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. He owned a lot of slaves. He allegedly had children with some of his slaves. There was a lot of flaws there. 
He also gave us the Declaration of Independence, which is one of the most important founding documents to our country. He also was, as one of our founding fathers, one of the people who helped to establish the United States of America, which is the greatest country that has ever existed on planet Earth. And for people who disagree with that, for people who hear that and they say, oh, no, no, that's not true. Let's just take a look really quick at how many people are trying to get into the United States of America on a regular basis compared with how many people are trying to flee the United States of America. And that's the evidence for my claim that we are the greatest country. So here's a person who helped establish this amazing country that we live in, but he was incredibly flawed. Well, when you use the two box sorting method, what you're doing is you're saying Thomas Jefferson was bad, period. Boom. He goes in the bad box. And now we, we are not allowed to talk about anything good that he contributed to history. Let's look at the opposite end of that. Okay. People who we want to put in the good box because they have done so much good, but they've also done bad. Okay. And my example for that is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Okay, clearly a a revered figure in our nation's history for what I believe is good reason. He is somebody that is honored, that is remembered in a very positive light. He contributed so much to the well-being and the progress of our country. But a couple of years ago, our nation was rocked a little bit when there were some FBI files that were released about Martin Luther King who that were really, really kind of bad. It showed that he was a womanizer. It alleged that he had upwards of 40 affairs on his wife, affairs with 40 different women. There was a rumor that he fathered children outside of his marriage. There was a rumor that was stated in these FBI files that said that he allegedly was in the room when a woman was being raped. And it shook people. And people said, oh my gosh, how how are we supposed to remember this guy? How can we reconcile these things? And what does this do for his legacy? And the reality is, is okay, it's just a part of it. None of that negative stuff erases or should erase the good that he did for our country. But at the same time, just because we want to remember the good that he did for our country, it doesn't mean that we should erase any of the negative of his personality. People exist on a spectrum. We are all capable of good and we are all capable of evil. And our lack of humility as human beings, this false idea that we all seem to have in our heads that we ourselves are are the epitome of, of good and perfection, it is preventing us from having honest conversations about the people around us and the people in history. Our lack of humility and ability to show grace is blinding us. It is blinding us to truth and it is blinding us to reality. And this lack of humility is really one of the driving forces behind cancel culture. It's the driving force behind cancel culture because number one, it forces us to cancel anyone who ever sins, as I, as I mentioned. But number two, it's because it prevents us from realizing that someday the mob could come for us. Everyone is flawed. And so there's nothing stopping us from eventually being our own victims of the mob. This is one of the things that I think just always shocks me the most about the people who are out there, you know, calling for all of these these people to be canceled, whether it is J.K. Rowling or whether it is George Washington or whether it is Christopher Columbus or whether it is James Gunn. So that's a story that comes to my mind. James Gunn, a few years ago, found himself in some hot water. He is a director. He worked for Disney and he was one of the driving voices behind cancel culture. He loved to get on his Twitter account and 
called for people to be canceled. And then one day there came to light some very disturbing tweets that he had put out from a few years back that were joking around about things like pedophilia, joking around about things like molesting children. This is a guy who works for Disney, okay, a company that markets primarily to children. And guess what? He got canceled. Disney fired him for those tweets. And so it's always amazing to me to, to look at these people who are calling for others to be canceled because it's like, do you really think that you are perfect? You really think that you have never in your life done anything that might someday get you canceled. We, lo- we always hear this expression, right? Oh, I'm on the right side of history. I'm on the right side of history when it comes to this issue. The funny thing about being on the right side of history is that you don't actually know that you're on the right side of history until it becomes history. There are plenty of people, historical figures, who today we look back on and we say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they supported that. I can't believe that they did that. And they would just be, if you went back in time and told them, how they were remembered, they would they would be horrified because at the time that they lived, these things were just kind of natural. It doesn't mean that they were right. It doesn't mean that they were okay. But this is where grace comes in. This is where having a little bit of mercy comes in is to stop and say, you know what? What are people in 100 years from now going to look back on us, going to look back on positions that I hold on things and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe that our forefathers, that our great-great-grandparents actually said those things and believed those things and did those things. We are all at the mercy of cancel culture. We are all at the mercy of being on the wrong side of history because we are all just doing our best. We are all just doing our best. And this is where humility has to come in. This loss of humility in our culture, it's really something that it really surprises me that it is not a bigger topic of conversation, particularly among religious circles in this country. Because this lack of humility is really driving so much of the civil unrest and the, the hatred, the anger, and the division that we see. We need to return to humility as a virtue. We need to eliminate this silly, you know, good or bad binary box sorting that we are doing and reinstate the idea that, you know what, people are imperfect. There's always room for improvement. There is always room for progress. And we need to, in the process, learn to be forgiving again to each other. There's a reason why? When you read the, the New Testament, Jesus focuses so much on this concept of humility. There's a reason why he says you need to take the log out of your own eye before you focus on the splinter in your brother's eye. There is a reason why he says you need to forgive your fellow human being. Okay, this is it's not a it's not a, you know, recommendation. He's not saying, you know, hey, you know, forgiveness is kind of a cool thing if you decide to do it. He is saying it is mandatory. He says it is mandatory. Your father in heaven will not forgive you for your sins unless you forgive your fellow human beings. And yet every single day, pretty much as we move further and further away from Christ's teachings, but every single day, what we are seeing in our nation and in our culture is a movement away from forgiveness. It is a movement away from humility. It is a movement away from the concept of personal responsibility and the fact that if there's something wrong in my life, let me first ask the question of what could I do? to make it better instead of asking who is oppressing me and who is making my life worse. We have got to return 
to this concept of humility and forgiveness and grace. It is not just a Christian value. It is the only way that human beings can live together side by side in any sort of peace. If you take away these these values, we don't have anywhere to go because all that will be left is the hate and the division and the anger. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJ and American. You can also message this show by sending emails to JJ at I'm just an American.com. Thanks for taking a moment out of your day to talk about how the loss of humility is the driving force behind so many of our nation's problems. I'll be back next week for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty 3.